Well, hi, everybody. Um, welcome to this new podcast. We're going to talk about a couple of psalms today. This is a podcast that's kind of a, a follow-up to one that we did two weeks ago, um, where Pastor Jeremy talked, just answered some questions that we've had about psalms, because we're in a sermon series about psalms, and as a result of that podcast, we had a couple of requests for two psalms that aren't in the sermon series, I don't think, but people were interested in hearing um, Jeremy talk a little bit about those two psalms. There's Psalm, I think, 24 and 131. That's right. Thanks, Pastor Craig. And special thanks to the two people who listened to our podcast and sent us an email. Uh, just kidding. I know it was three. My mom listened. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but, but truly excited to take a moment to walk through these two psalms. And look, if you're new to this podcast or you're like, hey, I actually have a favorite psalm and I'd love to hear uh, the guys talk about it a little bit, email us in. We'd be happy to take a few moments to uh, look at the psalm that is a personal favorite of yours and try to help you understand it better if you don't already. Um, also, sidebar, uh, giveaway for today, we have the scripture journal for the Psalms. So what that is, is it's a, a book about the size of a normal Bible, but one side is text, the other side is just blank lines. And I found it and it's just the book of Psalms. But I found this to be so helpful to be able to just take a pencil and circle words, write my way through a Psalm at a time. And if you want one uh, for a limited time only, Tell us that you listen to this podcast and you can have one for free. We've already had a couple people take us up on the offer. So, uh, mom, you cannot have two. Okay. So Craig, over to you as we want to look through both of these Psalms, um, and, uh, take, take it away. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let me, let me go ahead and read through Psalm 24. It's not that long. Um, we thought it might be a good idea to read aloud because we know that, a lot of you listen to podcasts while you're driving, so exactly. Uh, and so, rather than stop at a red light for five minutes, we're going to go ahead and read through Psalm 24. It's actually pretty short. Yeah, Craig. Before you do, just one final note: as you hear this read, I encourage listeners don't just go on autopilot. Instead, try to notice if this psalm changes how it changes uh the object of what it's talking about through the psalm i think there are three parts to this psalm it's got 10 verses and i think it's got three parts as you're listening see if you can just briefly make some broad brush strokes of what you think each part is about okay here we go it's a psalm of david the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. 
Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Awesome. Thank you, Craig. Well, as you were listening, did you notice there near the end, we had a lot of repetition. When you're reading a psalm, when you're reading, uh, or if you're a fan of other ancient Hebrew poetry, then you would know that repetition is a helpful uh, indication of what the author is trying to point us toward. In this psalm, Psalm 24, David's writing it, and he's wanting to show us, like I said, I think, three parts to this psalm. Now, I don't want to bore you um, with getting too far into the weeds, um, but if you look in a psalm, if you had a moment to actually open up Psalm 24, whether that's coming back later when you're not driving or going on your jog, or whether that's right now you do you can click it in on the computer, what you'll notice is Psalm 24 has some gaps in the stanzas. And while not every psalm is divided properly, I actually think the editors get these gaps right. I mentioned earlier, I think there's three parts to this psalm. And the first part, listen again to the first two verses. I think this is one part. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For the Lord has founded it upon the seas and the Lord established it upon the rivers. If you hear that first part, you're going to notice that this uh, that David is 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 talking about this grand and magnificent creation, earth, world, seas, rivers, created language, and you would be able to circle verses one and two to say, okay, this is who possesses the Lord. This is what the Lord owns. Now, what happens in verse three for those um, who, who are interested in, in a shift in a scene change? Uh, verse three, we have a little bit of a scene change because now. David's not talking about the earth, the seas, the rivers. He asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who's going to stand? And he answers it. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. But just pause there for a minute and recognize verse 1 and 2 have something to do with God's creation. Verse 3 and 4 have something to do with who can approach God. So if you're looking at the psalm, I actually think the second part is verses 3 to 6. And it's all about who's good enough to come close to the Lord. Who's the kind of person that can get close to the Lord? So again, brief overview. Verses 1 and 2 is painting the Lord is this master creator. He can create the world and the earth and everything you see. The second section is who is able to get close to this holy God. So second section, there's a question and we know you need to be a holy person. You can't, you got to have clean hands. You got to have a pure heart. You can't lift up your soul to what's false. You can't swear deceitfully. And if you do this, if you're the generation of those who seek God, who seek the face of Jacob, who, who seek the God of Jacob, you can get close to this holy, creative Lord. All right, that leads us then to the third section, which has all that repetition. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors. The king of glory can come in. Who is the king of glory? So now we again have a third scene change as David talks about the king. And he's asking the question, who is the king? The answer there at the very end of the psalm, the Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. All right, so if I haven't already bored you to tears, there's three parts then I see in this psalm. 
The first is, what is the Lord's creation like? Who is so powerful to create the world? Answer the Lord. Second, who can get close to the Lord? Answer those who are holy and pure. Third, who is the king? Who is the king of all of this? Answer the Lord. And I think that's what's going on in the three parts of the psalm. All right. So, Craig, I do all of that to just help a person go, oh, okay, I'm doing my little quiet time. I took a few moments. I kind of see that, that what all three parts have in common is this thing about the Lord. And that helps you begin to draw the point. If you take one of these, if you take this free gift we want to give to you, I, I would encourage you to try to see how the Psalms divided. But then I would also want to have a chance to write what the point is. Now, here's how I wrote what the point of Psalm 24 is. King David wants us to understand the Lord possesses all the earth and the people. And while he owns it all, not everybody's able to stand, to stand or ascend his holy hill. The only person who can do that must have clean hands and a pure heart. And the Lord is the king of glory who will reign on that hill and holy place. That makes sense? Makes total sense. Um, okay. Well, let me pause and ask if you have any questions. I do want to connect it to Jesus before we move on to the next one. But is there, is there anything so far that would, that would help, our, help clarify how to understand the point of a psalm to this point? No, I think that's really helpful. I, um, when I, I've been reading through psalms because of the sermon series, and I've been doing it as part of my quiet time. And I know I've been doing it wrong because what I only do is read through a psalm and find the part of it that's pertinent to my life today. Okay. And pray through that. And my guess is you're saying I'm not doing that exactly upside right. I, you know, I love when a person reads the Bible and then uses the Bible words to pray, even if you're a, even if you're a little bit off, I think that's far superior than to the mistake that I have made way too many times. And that is not to even open the Bible at all or to neglect to pray. So it, I, would, I wouldn't want to call that wrong or a mistake um, because you're, you're, you're in the game. You're playing the way. The, the, the question becomes, what is David trying to say in this psalm? And, and if you have that in mind, and I make mistakes all the time too, Craig, I, I may be off on some of my divisions, sincerely. I, I may see this wrong. I, I may hear somebody preach on it and go, man, I'm way off. But, but, but we're trying to understand what does this mean? And then we, by starting with what it means to them, it allows us to hopefully apply it to us now. So, so for what David was writing seems to be something like God is huge and creator and not everybody gets to go to his holy hill but the Lord himself will reign on his holy hill. That, that, I feel confident in that. So any prayer that follows that trajectory, you're on safe ground. But this humility piece is really important just to know. We try our best. We try to read the Bible, but it's hard. It's, it's 3,000-year-old Hebrew poetry, and I get it wrong all the time. Uh, but in my heart of hearts, I want to get better, and I, I'm doing my best with the tools I have. Well, excellent. Thank you. And thank you for blessing my flawed efforts. <laughs> uh, may all of us, may all of us just keep pressing in, doing the best we can. Would it be okay yeah. to try to connect this over to Jesus at this point? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay, okay. so listeners, keep in mind Luke 24, 44. 
That's where Jesus sits down with his 12 disciples or stands up as it was and says, hey, disciples, you've got to know all the scripture points to me. And what Jesus is referencing, of course, is all the Old Testament, what, what the disciples would have called the Bible, um, all of scripture. But it's for us, the Bibles we have, it would have been the Old Testament. So it's the Pentateuch, the first five books. It's all the poetry. It's all the prophets. But specifically, he uses the word Psalms as a word that captures Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Psalms, all the poetry. But we know that Psalms points to him. So we come to Psalm 24. We've done our best to understand what it meant, but now we need to point to Jesus. And this is where I often, this is my favorite part of doing a quiet time to ask the question, okay, how is David pointing this to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Well, consider this. He uses the word, the Lord, throughout the whole phrase. That was actually, that's the way I was dividing this into three sections. The Lord is the creator. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And then who's going to reign on the, who's going to reign? Answer, the king is the Lord. Who will be the king of this hill? That, um, and, and the answer is the Lord. Now, how does Jesus answer all that? Here's what we've learned. Colossians 1 tells us that it was Jesus who created the world there in Genesis 1. He was the agent of the Trinity who was involved in creation. So very easily we get to who is the one who created? Psalm 24 uses the word Lord. Colossians 1 tells us that was Jesus. And who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in the holy place? This is the part that would be convicting to me. Who has clean hands? Who has a pure heart? Who's never lifted their soul to what's false? Who's never swore deceitfully? I wish to say I've never made those mistakes, but I know I have. And the Bible teaches all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. But that points us to, oh, there was one who was righteous. There is one who will receive the blessing from the Lord, verse five. There is one who is righteous in the God of salvation. There is one who sought the face of Jacob. And that one, he did climb the hill of the Lord. Remember verse three, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? There on a weekend outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, Jesus did ascend a hill, but the hill he ascended was to his crucifixion. And he stood in our place as the only one in the history of the world with a perfectly clean hand, perfectly clean hands, and a perfectly pure heart. And because of Christ, who is also the answer to the third section, who is the King of glory, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who is strong and mighty. So lift up your head, O gates. Let the ancient doors open that the King of glory can come in. Who are we waiting for in his second coming? Amen. It is Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can become a generation who seeks God's face. And we look forward to the day when all the nations and all the world all that the Lord has created will know Jesus is the King of glory. Ah, Psalm 24. Great Psalm. Amen. So are you ready to hit Psalm 131? Psalm 131 is only three verses. I will try to go a little quicker and not get so preachy. Happy to move over there. Yeah. Okay. So since it's only three verses, I'll go ahead and read it. And if you're listening to this in your car, you can focus through the whole thing because it is so short. Yeah. Here we go. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. 
I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Amen. Okay, in this three-verse psalm from David, I think there's two parts. And again, if you had a Psalm 131 in front of you, you'd notice that the editors have put a space between verse two and three. And, and my sense is that's correct. Verse one and two, it, feel, it was a little vague to me when I was reading it over. Oh Lord, my heart's not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy with things too great, too marvelous for me. That, that's David explaining his reality. And in fact, that's the way I titled it. This is David's reality. It's, it's, a, it's an attitude of humility. I'm not trying to be in charge of something way bigger than it should be. And then verse two, you have this mother-son, mother-daughter, mother-child metaphor. I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child. Okay, so uh, what, is a, what does an unweaned child do? Why begs and cries and pleads and is a little baby, like we would expect. But a weaned child is contented and waiting. Verse three then, seems to be driving home the point. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, so what this psalm had me wondering is, what is David referencing when he says, I'm not trying to be outside my lane, God. I'm not trying to be in your lane. I'm staying in my lane. I don't know a lot. If you fry short of a happy meal, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. You are, but I'm going to be a contented like a contented child before you. Well, it makes me appreciate and think that, that, that David's sensing a temptation. David has this invitation inside of himself to want to go outside of his lane and not be a contented child. I think that's what this is addressing. So for any person who finds himself in a circumstance in which they think, ah, God, what are you doing? You may be guilty of, verse one, lifting your heart up too high, having your eyes raised too high, thinking thoughts that are too great, too marvelous for you. It, it led me to think of people who are questioning the goodness of God. David's point is, hey, I realize I don't know everything like you do. And though I don't understand it all, I'm going to trust in you like a weaned child. And the reason I draw that conclusion is because verse three then seems to be the bow on the whole psalm. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, which is his way of saying now and always hope in the Lord. So I think this psalm is especially aimed at a person who is struggling to believe in the goodness of God. Would you be willing to grant a friend who's struggling with the goodness of God that you don't see the big picture? Uh, that doesn't mean you haven't been through tragedy. That doesn't mean you haven't experienced awful trauma, but in and through all of it, like David, can you say, I will wait on the Lord and I will be a contented child. My soul will be content with you today and forever. My hope is in you. What's that got you thinking, Craig? Yeah, I, um, it's, it's such a, well, it ends with hope, but it's yeah. cool because the, it starts out where I normally am, which is 
discontent, thinking too many about too much stuff, confused. And I just love verse two where it talks about calming my heart like a weaned child. That's not a normal condition for no. to be in. Um, and that's, but that's where I want to be. Yeah. Tell me how to do that. And I, I love yeah. that. I agree. It also encourages me just to know that as a child gets weaned, it makes sense that there will be some crying fits for us who are, might like to think of ourselves as spiritual adults, but might act like spiritual babies sometime. And when God doesn't give us what we want, when God doesn't give us what we demand, when we demand it, we might be a baby for a while, but that helps us grow and mature. And my guess is, you know, people like this of all ages, I know I do, folks who've had to walk through tragedy and have had to decide, I'm going to put my hope in the Lord. And even though things didn't work out the way I wanted, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to hope in him. In my view, the alternative is you can just be a baby the rest of your life and just keep whining. But what I think is more common is folks just eject from the Christian framework. And then they go, if God's not going to give me what I want when I want it, I'm out. And that would be, I think, taking this wean child to the, uh, to the logical extension. And it makes me sad for Christians who think, wait, I, I'm a Christian because I thought the game was I do what I I do my job, God does his job. So God, this is like a renter, uh, this is like a, a, a rental agreement. You're my landlord, I paid rent, now let me have what I want. And, and that's just not the way it works in the Christian framework. But we follow the Lord regardless of if he gives us our bottle when we want it. So uh, it is a little bit humiliating to think that at times I've been a baby saying, I want my milky, I want my milky. Yeah. Can, I, can I point us to Christ here? Yes, please. Here's where I think this gets us to Jesus. In the form of questions. Who more than anybody had a calm and quiet soul in the face of tragedy? Who more than anybody in the history of the world had to walk through tragedy and not have the comfort of a parent? Who more than anybody ought to have had a heart lifted up, eyes raised high, occupied with how awesome they were, aware of their great and marvelousness. Who more than anybody rightfully could say, I'm a baller and I deserve what I want when I want it. Answer, Jesus. But who weaned their soul and hoped in the Lord despite the most brutal of life circumstances we could ever imagine. It is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Psalm 131, who calmed and quieted his soul, even though the basic necessities of life were tortured from his body. The brutal cross left him dead, but he is alive forever because he perfectly hoped in the Lord. And for any who believe in Jesus, for any who place their faith in Jesus, you are empowered to be able to hope in the Lord and wean your soul like a child because you have in Jesus the perfect model and the perfect, uh, you've been given the perfect ability to follow him.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. This is, it's fun to talk about psalms at the same time that we're talking about psalms in the church, in, uh, in the sermon. So it's great that people had questions and wanted to hear about some more. I so agree. I feel like the psalms have become for me this sort of M. Night Shyamalan equivalent to the movies. If you're not familiar with M. Night Shyamalan, he's this guy who writes movies that at the very end, there's this twist that you didn't see coming. And though I've read through the book of Psalms a number of times, I often would read three or five Psalms a day, which left me very little time to actually consider what the Psalms had to say. And right now I'm in this season of trying on some days to just do one Psalm at a time take five minutes. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes uh, with a pencil. And I just try to make some notes and go, okay, what is the Psalm saying? What is the point? And how does it get, get me to Jesus? And so many times I get done with the Psalm and I go, oh my word, I've read this so many times, but I had no idea. Um, now, like I said, I've made lots of mistakes so far, but this little uh, scripture, uh, this ESV scripture journal, it's been such a treat. If you'd like one, let us know. We'd be happy to hand it off. And I got to tell you, I'm so excited to preach Psalm 150. For those who are listening before June 21st, 2020, uh, we're getting ready to have our first outdoor service as a result of uh, COVID-19, and we're going to walk through Psalm 150. So if you haven't yet, podcast listeners, read the six verses. There's one word that's mentioned 13 times. If there's ever a simple psalm to figure out the point of, it's Psalm 150. That's why I'm ending with it, because I'm more confident in it than any. You've got to be a moron to miss what the point of Psalm 150 is. I almost did, but then I read some confidence. Hey, shameless plug, join us, for, join us for the June 21st sermon. Check out Psalm 150. See if you can figure out what the point is and how it points to Jesus. Yeah, thank you. And and if you want to claim your free prize from Jeremy, just uh, or if you have any other ideas for podcasts, just send them to communications at mymillcreek.com. And um, actually, if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, it's really easy. Just go wherever you get podcasts and look up Mill Creek Podcast. And that's the name of it. How that name is available to us, so simply, I don't know. But Mill Creek Podcast is what this is called. So. Subscribe, and until next time, thanks for being with us. Yes, and special shout-out to my mom for listening to this, too. All right, Craig, have a wonderful day, brother. Yeah, you too. See you later. Okay.